Welcome to the Sexy Selfish Podcast Series. I'm your host, Shona Gates. I'm a women's life coach, success strategist, and a self-proclaimed badass. And I'm here to help you rediscover your authentic self, stop delaying your happiness, and step into your truth. This podcast has been created to connect, inspire, and nurture mums who want more. Are you ready? Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. This is a little bit of a different track because I'm not going to be talking about money and I'm not going to be talking about mindset and I'm not going to be talking about business. Recently, I have been going through a lot as a mother with kids who have disabilities and I don't share too much of it on my Sexy Selfish page. I do share a little bit more of it on my personal Facebook and personal Instagram page, but it is something I get asked about a lot. One of my very first podcast episodes I ever recorded was about autism is a gift. I'll put the link in the show notes. And it was really quite an emotional episode to record. And it was quite cleansing to really talk about autism in, in the way that I saw it at that time, which was that it was a gift. And it was this incredible thing that, um, my son was learning to navigate and we were learning to navigate as parents. But that was a little while ago now. That was over four years ago and everything has kind of changed since then. Some stuff I still feel the same way about, some stuff I don't. And we now have three kids with disabilities and our life is a lot more full of that type of stuff. So I wanted to record another episode purely because I get asked a lot about this and I know I have through my DMs and and my emails and messages with friends and even just other parents at my kids' school, I've ended up having these conversations more often and helping other people kind of navigate this journey and where to go and not so how to feel, but how to process what you're feeling and, and the grief for the parenting journey not being quite what we expected it to. So I just figured I would do an update. For everyone that may have listened to that 2018 episode, Autism is a Gift. It still is a gift, but it's a gift that's fucking hard work. (laughs) So a little bit about our journey. So Eric was diagnosed with autism. Um, The pediatrician dropped the A-bomb on us two days before my daughter was born. I was heavily pregnant at this pediatric appointment. And he kind of said, have you ever heard of autism? And I just went, no. And he's like, good, don't Google it. Don't Google it at all. There is no cure, but here's the things we're going to do. And he put me on to NDIS and put me on to, you know, contacting different government agencies for support and different groups and different ways we could get, you know, assessment and support and help for Eric. And that was one of the most powerful things he ever said to me was don't Google it because no two autistic kids are the same. No two stories are the same. No two outcomes are the same. And all you do if you Google it is is start to really go down in the spiral of panic and negativity and just believing the worst is going to happen. So we didn't Google. We just instead cried and then figured it out. And with trusted professionals around us took the next steps for Eric. That was when he was, yeah, two, two and a half. He turned 10 the other day. 
So at the beginning of Eric's journey, he was completely nonverbal. He really didn't feel very much emotions or couldn't understand emotions. He didn't make eye contact. He would stim, which is like when kids flap or spin or jump um, quite, quite a lot to the point it was affecting, you know, daily life and being in the community and stuff like that. He had lots of sensory issues. Uh, yeah, no speech, no emotions. Toilet training was really late, all this stuff. But through the NDIS scheme, we were actually one of the first six families onto the NDIS scheme in South Australia. We dealt with NDIS directly. It was a very new scheme, but we did feel really supported. Um, so Eric was able to access speech, OT and behavioral therapy. And he has been seeing those therapists since he was three. So he has an amazing relationship, especially with his OT and his behavioral therapist, Rihanna. And he's been seeing them for the past seven and a half years. And he has a really, really great relationship with them. His speechy and him have always butted heads a little bit. And we're currently looking for a new speech pathologist because she said, you know, I think it's time. I think he's ready for someone else. So, but, and then things evolve and things change over the years. And I just remember always feeling really grateful for this journey because it showed me different ways to look at the world and different ways to understand people. And, you know, this whole world opened up for me that I had no idea about before, you know, sensory processing disorder, speech delays, how the brain works, um, you know, just how even the neurons work and fire together and, and developmental goals and things like that. But the main point along the whole thing was that this is normal. Eric is my first child. So autism is my normal. I don't know any different. I really have no other experience. I got pregnant with him in 19. Not, it's not like I had lots of other friends around me with kids where I could look around and go, oh, that's normal and, and my child isn't. And then, you know, for another element of perspective, what the hell is normal? As Harlequin says, normal's the setting on the dryer. There's no such thing as normal. But versus a neurotypical child, I don't really know what, what the benchmark is, right? So anyway, we've been on this journey for Eric for quite some time. He's improved dramatically. There was one point where we were talking about having to go to a special school, having to go in special classes. The only way he communicate would be through an iPad. And now if you look at him today, it really takes a very sharp eye or very someone very familiar with his disability to spot it. He still stims, he still fidgets, he still runs and bounces. And, and the latest thing is popping his knuckles, which drives me mental. So he's still this incredibly sensory child, but he talks and he understands emotion if sometimes he needs a little bit of clarification on it. And he's very literal, but he does feel a lot of things and feel love and, and compassion and share that. He's in a mainstream class at a mainstream school and keeping up with his grades. So that's been a very long journey. He had a severe developmental delay when he started school, severe, um, but it's been like quite a few years of effort and years of therapy and we're not just talking once in a while therapy like he has ot weekly and he has behavioral therapy once a month and he has speech once a month and he has physio now weekly but then this has all kind of come to a head over the last 12 months for holly and hudson my other two kids so holly's seven and hudson is going to be two next week well at the time of recording if we do next week not sure when this episode will come out. It will, but I'm not sure when. It goes into the schedule and then my team kind of sorts it out. Um, 
So Holly has been seeing a behavioral therapist for a couple of years now. She went, she went and saw the same behavioral therapist my son is seeing because she obviously Holly's literally known her since she was born. So she's very familiar with the office, the environment, the therapist, with the idea of therapy. So that's one thing I'm really grateful for as well. The fact that my kids life is, is a lot of therapies. There's absolutely no therapy stigma in our family. It's like mum goes to therapy, dad goes to therapy, kids go to therapy, grandpa goes to therapy, nanny goes to therapy. You know, everyone's in therapy and it's great because there's there's no stigma around it and there's no stigma around talking about our emotions and there's no stigma about acknowledging things that we struggle with, things that we want to work on, um, things that might be a little bit tricky for us. But we always honestly thought Holly was neurotypical. She did a couple of things when she was little, like walking on her tiptoes and, and flapping her arms and stuff. But we spoke to the OT about it and they all just said, you know, she's just copying her brother. That was cool. So we moved on. So Holly's, we always thought she was completely neurotypical. But a couple of years ago, probably about two years ago, she started having some extreme anger issues. Really, really bad. And I... Not sure if I'm quite ready to share about that, but quite, quite physically violent, quite verbally violent, um, but selective about when it happens. So kindy, she was a little angel for everyone, you know, getting all the kindy awards for kindness. And at school, she's an angel, you know, top of the class, doing great. But at home, she holds it in so well at school. At home, she explodes. Sometimes we don't even get home. Sometimes it happens when she gets in the car from school. She explodes into this just ball of emotion and rage and frustration and pent up like sensory overload. But I just thought, you know what, she's got some anger issues. So we went to therapy for a year with a paid therapist and she worked through a lot and we implemented lots of different techniques. There was a great book called The Angry Beast, um, which is about how we all have this angry rage beast in us. In, inside of each of us and some people's beast kind of sits closer to the surface and comes out quicker than other people um so that we, we implemented like every tactic in the book but it came to this point when the therapist is like my beautiful therapist Rhiannon said I think I think something else is going on here so she referred me to the pediatrician that she uses now I get asked about pediatric referrals a lot I always tell people where we go even though I know it is backfired for me personally, it has backfired because now my pediatrician is so freaking busy. <laughs> I have to wait four weeks to get an appointment, which is a great thing for supporting other women in business and for helping these parents connect with a pediatric like support team that I genuinely believe helps people. So we see Dr. Kathy Lee at Sunshine Pediatrics in Salisbury in South Australia. That is who we see. She is brilliant. I will praise, you know, sing her praises forever. So she walked in, met Holly for about five minutes and knew exactly what was going on. So she spoke about anxiety, um, which I kind of hadn't picked up on. Um, and then she started seeking about ADHD. I was expecting to go in there and be like told she's bipolar or she's got, you know, some other type of mental health problem from the extreme rage and emotional scale that Holly would swing through. But no, anxiety and ADHD. It was really funny for me as well because there was this moment where the pediatrician's like going, oh, she does this and she does that and this is the way her brain works and so she does this because she thinks this way. And I'm going, that's not, that's not ADHD, that's normal. I do that and I think that way and I, you know, I used to do the same thing at her age and the pediatrician's just kind of sitting there nodding at me with this expression on her face waiting for the penny to drop for me. 
And then there was this moment of like, Aaron's looking at me, well, like, when is she going to put two and two together? I'm like, oh, do I have ADHD? And the therapist just gives me this little nod. I'm like, oh, shit. This explains so much. It explained so much. So it was insane, this, this appointment that Holly walked out when, like, oh, there's a reason I think and do this way. And I went, oh, my God, there's a reason I'm doing it. And I'm so sorry, honey, that I didn't pick up on it because it's normal for me. I didn't pick up that this was what you were struggling with because I experienced that and I learned tactics. I taught myself tactics around that. So it was this really interesting experience, right? So Holly started on some medication for sleep and some medication for anxiety. It was her choice. She sat down with the pediatrician and talked about everything and what she wanted to do. She made the decision to try it and then things started to improve from there. So then we had about a couple more pediatric appointments and then Dr. Kathy started to mention, okay, with Eric's history of autism, do you want to go down the route of having an assessment done to know where you stand with all that type of thing? And then if you have the assessment done and it turns out she does need support, then you can use NDIS to get that support for her. Because at the moment I was still paying privately for behavioral therapy and all her medication and everything like that. And I said, you know what, with Eric's history and with with what's coming to light, the, the medication and the tactics that we implemented did improve things a little bit. You know, she went from three hour meltdowns to 40 minutes, but it was still more. It was still like there's a couple of policemen that live in our state and like it was enough noise and volume and holes in walls and chair throwing and huge meltdowns that they were genuinely concerned. So it got pretty full on. It got pretty full on for a time. (laughs) Meanwhile, all of this while trying to have a baby and run a business and all this stuff. So Holly went back. We had her autism assessment. We went in there. You know, it's it's quite an expensive appointment. And this is the thing as well. I do completely recognize the privilege of being able to afford that assessment and have it done promptly rather than wait years and years on a public waiting list. When we had Eric's autism assessment done, we were on the public waiting list for like nine months and it was just dragging out so long, but we couldn't afford anything. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mum. Aaron was still an apprentice. We could barely afford our mortgage or keep food on the table at that point. And we were so lucky that Aaron's grandmother offered to pay for the assessment for us. And because she did that, we were able to move things along so much faster. We were able to access early intervention. And I really do believe that Eric is where he is today um, you know, and is doing so well and coping and functioning and proud of who he is because we were able to push through and have that early assessment done privately. But I recognize that that is the privilege of, you know, not everyone's in that situation. And, and once again, this time with the autism assessment, it's like a $1,400 assessment. And I know that not everyone can afford that and not everyone will be able to afford that. And that's why the public system wait lists are so long, but it's also so flawed that the public wait list system is so long because we know statistically early intervention makes such a difference. We know that we have the figures, we have the research that the quicker you get children's support, the better it is long-term, you know, the better they are in society, you know, even long, long-term, like in terms of their employability, in terms of their functioning society, in terms of the statistics on disability pension later in life, we know all that. And yet still the waiting list of two years to get kids into supports and help that they need. It's just, it's a very flawed system. I have so many things to say on that, but not for this podcast. So we had did Holly's autumn assessment. 
it took a week to get the results back. And I was, I was honestly, I think I went in going, you know what, we're dealing with ADHD. We're learning more about that. We're learning more about the anxiety. We, I don't think it's autism. I, I genuinely think, because my version of autism, of what I knew autism to be, was Eric, was a boy, an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy's version of autism. And I really didn't, at that time, understand that girls, autistic girls, can look and cope and function so completely differently. So I really thought we were going to go in and I was going to waste all this money for the appointment. (laughs) And then I got the report back. And it was a, not a slap in the face, but just a really cold blast of air. (laughs) It was a shock. It was a shock because it was very detailed and it was very clear that, yes, this is what's happening for her. But she is very good at masking it. Girls... They say autistic girls have have a little bit more awareness around social influences, social structures, and they can kind of mask and pretend and copy everyone else around them in social settings better than boys can. So they go undiagnosed longer. And I know so many, so many friends my age just now, including myself, like I got diagnosed with ADHD at 30. Like so many of us, we, we skated by, we hid, we got it under the radar for so long. And now as adults are able to go and find the help that we need and acknowledge kind of what's going on. So yeah, the assessment came back like clear as fucking day ASD. In fact, in some areas more severe than Eric in some areas, not so severe, but the overall arching thing was, yeah, yeah. So we hit the trifecta with that one. So Eric's got ASD and, you know, some sensory processing and a bit of a developmental delay, but we've worked through all that over the last seven years. And I felt so bad because Holly's seven, like she missed the early intervention window is between two and seven. I felt like I failed her because I missed that window that we were now as a seven year old starting from scratch and it was going to be so much harder. But then I had a lovely talk with um, our OT and she reminded me that she's like, Shona, your entire life, you don't realize this, but is actually set up for autistic kids. You've learned how to parent an autistic child. So you have routine charts, you use first and then you understand how to word questions and you understand how to work with their highly logical brain. You know what you're doing. Your life is set up already. So don't think that, you know, you haven't helped her. You help her now by acknowledging and validating what she's feeling, but you've had all these structures in place for a while. You've been helping her without realizing you've been helping her. So that made me feel a little bit better, even though I still wish I had known sooner and say both of this, a lot of heartache. So we're going through all this with Holly. She got diagnosed officially October this year. So it was a long process from seeing the, seeing their therapist and therapist saying, Hey, I think you should see a pediatrician. That was in February to getting fully diagnosed as ADHD, anxiety, and autism in October. And then now it's been, what's it, January. And I, we just got her funding approved through NDIS to able actually access supports, which was a whole nother thing that completely fucked up the entire funding. The whole thing is wrong. That system is completely fucked. I have so many words to say about that, but I, this will be an eight hour podcast if I go into that. NDIS can be a nightmare working with Ferros Care, which is the provider that kind of interim and goes in between parents and NDIS can be a total nightmare. And it's really this point where as a parent, you don't want to be the bad guy. You don't want to be the person on sending the very firmly worded letter, trying to light a fire up these people that work on the other side of it. But you have to. And I, I wrote in a status the other day while I was sitting at Eric's hydrotherapy that 
this battle is really hard, but my kids are important and I will turn myself into someone else's nightmare to make sure that my kids are seen, heard and have the supports that they need. I will happily be that bitch if I need to, if I need to. I wish I didn't and I don't want to be, but for my kids, I will turn myself into someone's worst nightmare to get what I need for my kids. Um, so yeah, Holly's NDIS plan should start next year. She's excited about that. She's continuing with her medication. We're continuing with all these strategies and techniques and, but it's a lot. It's emotionally a lot. It's physically a lot. It's a huge, um, constraint on your time, on your emotional energy, even just the back and forth with NDIS and planners and appointments and meetings. It's, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. And I think that's the unseen side of things like you can NDIS can run their reports all they like about you know how many kids are using the amount of funding or how many kids have improved their reading levels since they've accessed speech but how many parents have had to sacrifice career makes and career moves and choices and and employment and money and all that type of stuff because of their kids with disabilities that's another entire facet that no one's talking about And anyway, the other side of things, when I was going through this whole thing with Holly this year, we have also been going through the same thing for Hudson. So we noticed about 12 months that Hudson has started to flap and stim and stim his body and shuffle around on his bum and do basically a whole bunch of things that Eric did. And while when Holly was really little and did those similar things, Eric was also doing them at the same time because he was still quite young. So it was very easy to look at Holly and be like, oh, she's copying her brother. The fact is now Hudson started to do particular stims that Eric hasn't done in years. So that was kind of the moment where it's like, he's not copying something he's seen. He's not mimicking. This is from him. This is his own stim. And then he started walking and it was all tippy toe walking the same as Eric. And then he had real texture aversion and then he still doesn't talk and he's too. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. But thankfully, I've been through it before. I've been through it twice before. So I kind of know what I'm doing. And I think it was really funny when um, when Holly got her diagnosis back, the, the woman who did the diagnosis, she called me and she's like, hi, I just want to talk. I'm just wondering, you know, how much do you know about autism? And how do you feel about that? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Oh, Holly's autistic? Okay, yeah, that's cool. All right, that's all right. I'll get on the phone and sort this paperwork out. And she's like, you just handled that extremely well. And I'm like, not my first rodeo. Not my first rodeo. <laughs> I've been there. I've done that. Nothing you could say would scare me at this point. Um, there, there's no shock to deal with. I dealt with all my emotions and fear and shock and panic when I <laughs> found out with Eric. And after that, it's just all kind of normal now. It's all kind of standard. It's all kind of expected. Don't expect anything. Don't plan your parenting journey too far into the future because it always changes and don't have expectations on other people, places or things. That's kind of what I've learned from this whole journey. So when Hudson was being assessed, luckily he is in an early intervention category. So he was under two when we first reached out and specifically he's under seven. So what actually happened, the process was a lot more supportive. We actually had like a caseworker come out, meet me at the house, look at all his reports. We already had, you know, Hudson was seeing the behavioral psychologist through the other kids appointments and she just picked up and red flagged a few things. Hudson had been at the pediatricians with us for our appointments with Holly. And even though Hudson didn't specifically have an appointment, the pediatrician's like, "Eh, yeah, I would definitely get things looked at. 
Um, and then in his six, uh, 18 months, 12 month screen and 18 month screen, it like kind of threw up a few red flags as well. And I knew from our past history, I'm like, okay, so two out of three were already diagnosed. We have to get Hudson looked at as well. So that was once again, I think about March, I started making some phone calls to look at support and assessments for him just kind of figure out where we stood for stuff it's really hard at the moment where we live the wait list for support is really really long like i had eric's been on a speech pathology wait list all year and he hasn't had a single appointment it's just it's insane but the so the kudos care came out to the house did assessments kept up with all my reports we also had him assessed through sa country health basically i just got all my ducks in a row i know the one thing with ndis with any type of support and funding is evidence. I've known, I know that from my past experience. So I just went to work collecting reports, collecting um, opinions and, and paragraphs and emails from every professional who had dealt with Hudson to just keep things documented and what they saw, if things were progressing or not. And I worked with a really lovely caseworker, Beck, who was a pediatric physiotherapist through Kudos Care. She came out and did two home assessments for us and then basically they compiled all their report they submitted him to the ndis and the ndis said yes he definitely needs help so but that was a year-long process and it was there's some very frustrating moments along the way but it's also taught me and i knew this anyway but it's just nailed things in for me to always follow up my own appointments always get copies of my own referrals always cc in everyone always follow up with a phone call to make sure they've received the paperwork um, you know, put notes in my diary, followed up last Wednesday, follow up next Wednesday. And it's that thing of like, I don't want to be the bitch, but I will be a nightmare for all these people. If it keeps my child in the front of their brain, if it keeps, when they see my name pop up in an email, if they know they have to open it and respond to me, I will be someone's nightmare. But luckily we've had okay experiences. Eric also had his review at this time. Lots changed for him over the last 12 months with implementing now physio into his schedule and, you know, just major drama, major stuff ups, lack of communication, right hand, not talking to left hand, government legislation and just bullshit. And I think they wonder, like, why does everyone get so angry? And I'm like, because you're dealing with our kids. And we all think any mother any parent with children with disability, like our full mama lion mode has been activated and you can't, you can't turn that off once that's been activated, but we'll fight to the death for our kids. Right? So in the last 12 months, we've gone from having one child on the spectrum to three. <laughs> so my life looks incredibly different to the way it did a year ago. The way it did a year ago was, you know, Eric has a couple of therapies that we slot in and, you know, it was a part of our life, but it wasn't our entire life. And then when the other two kids got diagnosed, that's when the shift really happened. I'm like, this is not just a part of our journey now. This really is the journey. This is the state phase of life we're in where this stuff matters and attention and time and energy and resources into this right now needs to matter and needs to be the priority. So there's a big, big shift for me and it's impacted the way I run my business. It's impacted the way I need to delegate and ask for support. It's impacted our entire family as a whole. Um, you know, we're incredibly busy. So Eric has physio, OT, behavioral therapy and speech physio and OT he has every week speech and behavioral therapy has once a month Holly also has behavioral therapy play therapy OT and speech and she's potentially going to end up with physio as well 
Hudson has physio, OT, speech, behavioral therapy, and dietitian. Like, that's 15 appointments a fortnight at minimum. The amount of time I spend going to these appointments, the amount of time I spend doing administration and managing all these appointments on the phone, booking things in, confirming things, working out logistically if I can, you know, we've got to go to speech first in the morning and then I've got 40 minutes to get somewhere that takes me an hour to get to, right? So can I, you know, I'm going to have to cut speech short 15 minutes to make sure I get to behavioral therapy. That's 45 minutes. And then trying to fit in their school appointments as well. Um, battling to find therapists who are happy to travel out to the kids' school because if I can get some therapy to happen during school time because I can't access them outside time. This is the thing as well, trying to split myself in multiple directions. So on one particular day, Eric needs to be at the pool to have physio and Holly needs to be in another town to have OT at the same time. It's it's insane. It's a full-time job. And I don't like to get online and whinge about it too much because it's really, it's no one else's business and whinging about it isn't going to change it. But it is a lot. It is a full-time job. It is a lot of my emotional energy. And it is really one of those things where people don't see it. People don't care. And there's no award or recognition of it, except for the fact that your kids are going to grow up feeling more supportable and more, more supported and more capable and more empowered by who they are and what they can achieve. But yeah, it, it's a lot. I'm not going to lie, but it has changed the way Aaron and I have to run our family, how we have to, you know, we, we're spending a little bit less time together and that really sucks. I really miss him, but it's the phase of life that we're in, you know, and if we can get a date night every couple of months, we will make the most of it. But we're busy. We're both working a lot. You know, our careers are still growing. Our businesses are still growing. He still has to fit in, you know, his work and his business. I still have to fit in. I've got two businesses now, my designing and my sexy selfish, running courses, working one-on-one with people, running a very, very tight diary, very tight diary. Literally, Aaron, I don't care if you booked something and you didn't write it in the diary. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Managing all the kids' appointments, asking, you know, our parents and friends for some help with pickups and drop-offs and running around to different places. And then just the hours and hours and hours spent on the phone and in emails managing and organizing all three kids' appointments and plans and lifestyle and funding and and it's and it's a lot. And you you think you've got it really well managed, and then sometimes one thing that a support worker or a carer or a provider will say, and it just sets you off and you're in tears on the floor. <laughs> and there's a lot of days where I'm just like I, I, my brain is mashed potato. I can't cook. I can't drive. Aaron just lets us Uber Eats and grab a bottle of wine. I can't even function right now. And it's that constant, you know, having to try and refill your own cup while also trying to take care of three kids' needs, which are different from neurotypical, that require a different way of thinking, that require intention with your word choices and your directions and your relationship with them so much more than maybe a neurotypical kid and family. So it's a lot, but I'm getting there. And I wanted to share that. So you guys know it's not all unicorns and sprinkle donuts online. It's really fucking hard some days. And being a parent is never what you expect it to be, but sometimes it's even more (laughs) messy, (laughs) but it's good and it's worth it. It is worth it to get my kids the support they need and to learn to look the wo- at the world and at people in a different way 
And if I can be of any support or any help to you on that journey yourself, don't hesitate to reach out. Send me a DM. I love voice notes. So we can chat via voice notes. Send me an email. Um, I don't do coffee catch-ups anymore just purely because I'm that fucking busy. I would love to do coffee catch-ups with people and, you know, just spend an hour chatting and hanging out. But I actually just – my time is so rigid at the moment. There is just – there's no space for me to even grab a coffee unless it's takeaway. we just got takeaway McDonald's where I live and, like, thank fucking God for takeaway coffee. You know, I'm, so while my son's sitting in hydrotherapy, I'm sitting there with my laptop trying to get my work done. My laptop goes everywhere with me now. My diary goes everywhere with me now. I'm working while my kids are in these appointments. It's, it's very full on stage of life. But send me a DM. I'm always happy to chat through there. Anyway, I know this is not your normal money mindset manifestation, but it was certainly motherhood. And that's in the podcast bio. So, yeah, that's my life with three kids with disabilities. And I will hopefully not leave it so long between an update between these podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys. If you love this episode, please subscribe and leave me a little love note by tagging me at sexy underscore selfish. To check out more of the Sexy Selfish podcast or to grab some of my little goodies, head on over to the freebie hub at www.sexyselfish.com. It's totally free and it's jam-packed with hours and hours of content for you. Thank you so much for being here with me today on the Sexy Selfish show and showing up today to become the best version of you. I'm sure you got so much out of today's episode and I know that I really did as well. If there is someone in your life who would really benefit from hearing this episode and some of the things we shared about, please share it with them right now. It's as easy as just sharing the link and you could literally change someone's life. Remember, it is time to stop delaying your happiness.